Welcome to the Georgia Criminal Law Podcast. Uh, my name is Ryan Brown. This podcast is brought to you by my law firm, J. Ryan Brown Law, LLC. We are a criminal defense firm in Noonan, Georgia, providing criminal defense representation to clients across the state of Georgia. You can visit our website at www.jryanbrownlaw.com. You may also uh, feel free to email me at ryan at jryanbrownlaw.com or call us at 470-635-1725. Feel free to call with any questions you may have about Georgia criminal law, um, any topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, or if you just want to chat. Um, So recently I released the pilot episode of this podcast, just kind of explaining what to expect, that, you know, we would be covering various criminal law topics, that you could expect interviews, um, dives into current events, things like that. Well, today is going to be the first real episode, the first episode with any meat, um, where we're going to dive into an actual issue, something that occurs in Georgia criminal law, and that is the topic of bond. Bond is... So often, the first thing that I get asked about when a when a case comes in the door, and even if it even if it's not necessarily the first thing, it's the most important. It's the most urgent, and there's a couple reasons for that. Um, people want to know. Uh, well, first of all, the questions I get are: Can I get a bond? How much is my bond going to be? And when can I bond out? And you know, the, the answers to that, they vary. Um, and we're going to kind of go through some of those things um, during this episode. We're going to go through what bond is, what's the purpose of bond, why bond's important, what different types of bond there are. Um, when can I get a bond? How much is, you know, what does a judge consider in setting bond and, and things like that? Can a judge deny me bond? And what happens if you, um, and if, if something happens with that bond? All right. So, First, let's start with um, what exactly a bond is. Um, and when, when I'm explaining bond to people who am, are in my office and maybe they've never dealt with um, the criminal justice system or, or the prison system or the jail system or anything like that, I like to portray bond to them as a promise and it's, it, and, or a loan of sorts. Uh, it's almost like you are able to post a bond promising that you will show back up to court. But the court wants some sort of security to ensure that you will keep your promise. It's kind of like a mortgage. Um, you say, okay, I will give you X amount of dollars and, uh, to secure my promise to you that I will show up to court. Or I will put up the deed to my house to secure to you, that, uh, to secure my promise to you that I will show up to court. Um, things like that. So really when you're bonding out, what you're doing is you are promising to the court or to whoever's posting your bond for you. I am going to return to my court dates and uh, to secure this promise, to make sure you know, collateral, that I'm not going to bail on you. I am giving up something of value, um, whether it be a driver's license in a misdemeanor case or like they used to do, or, or uh, you know, it could be anywhere from 100 bucks, 1000 bucks to millions of dollars. So what is the purpose of bond? Um, the, the purpose of bond in Georgia is or in anywhere really, but specifically in Georgia, is very clear. It, it is, and I'm going to actually read this from a, from a, a appellate court case um, from Georgia way back from 1924, so almost 100 years ago now, 95 years ago, the, court of, uh, the Georgia Court of Appeals said that the purpose of a pretrial bond, so the purpose of bonding out before you go to court, before your trial or anything like that, is to prevent you from being punished before you're convicted. 
um, that is one of the that is one of the reasons that we give bond, and they give us two. So the first that uh, it's Roberts v. State, and it's 32 Georgia Ave. 399, 339, excuse me, 1924, is to prevent you from being punished before you are convicted. So that's one of the reasons that someone may be given bond. Another reason that you are given bond is, like we talked about before, to secure your appearance um, in court for your court dates, for your trial. So you get bond so that you're, because in America it is very important that you are presumed to be innocent until you are proven otherwise. So I'm innocent until proven guilty. The same goes here. So bond is to prevent you from being incarcerated until the state has, or unless, or until the state can prove that you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And also just to ensure that you show up to court so that so that we can work things out. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go, you know, the other thing kind of with that and why it's so important is, you know, it secures your, and this talks about preventing the punishment, is that if if the state could simply accuse you of a crime, and make you sit in jail while you resolve your case. Then eventually, if you sit there long enough, your 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 presumption of innocence is kind of gone. In that, if I if the prosecutors could just say, all right, just lock him up for for aggravated assault, and we're just going to let him sit in jail until he wears down, and maybe he'll plead guilty. Well, in that case, you know, we're not looking at something that is that feels like presumption of innocence. No. Without that pretrial bond, the presumption of innocence means absolutely nothing, and that's why it's so important that uh, judges uh, grant bond and why defendants uh, file timely motions for bond and ensure that they get those. So let's talk about different kinds of bond um, and different ways you can post bond and try to get out of bond. Um, Something that's common in less serious cases and, and rarely ever seen in a in a felony case or anything like that is an OR bond. And what that means is it OR stands for own recognizance, meaning that the, the court is letting you letting you bond out with your signature alone, saying that your word is enough collateral to ensure that you'll show up. So they let you out and by signing at the bottom line you promise to come back. Though those are rare. Um, they they really are um, and sometimes if you are given an OR bond, you may be required to report to some sort of pretrial program or something like that, um, where if you're not showing up to these pretrial programs and checking in on whatever terms they may be, it may be once a week or once a month, they may have drug tests or things like that, that where if you don't do that, the judge can actually, or the prosecutors can uh, file to revoke your bond, and the judge could put you back in jail for failing to abide by those pretrial, um, those bond conditions. Next is a cash bond, and let's say in this situation you're arrested for a false imprisonment, the court issues you a, grants you a $5,000 bond. If you have $5,000 in cash, or your family does, they can post $5,000, the entire cash bond, um, and have you released. And as long as you go to all of your, um, to all of your court dates and your case is resolved, then you'll get your money back. And, you know, the, the best way to do that is once the case is resolved, you need to go down to the courthouse, you need to go to the clerk's office, you need to get a certified copy of the final disposition of your case, take it to the jail office where you posted the bond and your money should be returned to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another kind of bond is a property bond. So let's say your bond is $5,000. Nobody has that kind of money or cash laying around. They don't have any. And in lieu of cash, you want to put up your property um, for the bond. 
Well, you're going to need to contact the, the sheriff in the county where the property lies. You're going to have to get some re uh, required paperwork and approval. This is by far the most complicated, complicated way. And what the sheriff's going to do is they're going to make sure that you have equity in your property um, or whoever's posting the property. They're going to make sure they have equity in that property. Uh, they're going to, and it uh, likely they will require that the equity be two or three times the amount of the bond. So if a $5,000 bond in our example, then they're going to require likely that you have between, um, you know, uh, probably ten dollars to $15,000 worth of equity in your home or the property, wherever it may be, real estate, whatever it is. And during the pendency of your case, there's going to be a lien on your property from the sheriff. And um, once your case is completed, as long as you uh, appear in court as directed, your property will be re released from that lien, free and clear. And we're going to talk a little bit later about what may happen to property if you, in fact, don't show up to court like you're supposed to. All right. So we've talked about three types of bond, property bonds, OR bond, and cash bond. With that said, I'm going to go to what is um, probably the uh, – let me – I want to add one thing about property bonds. Um in addition to that, you're, you're, you're likely going to want to, if you're preparing to post a property bond, you're going to want to get mortgage statements probably as well to show that everything's current. And also, if there's multiple people on the deed, you're going to need everybody on the deed to be present uh, and likely with a photo ID. Um, so, you know, if, if there's a couple of family members or something on the, on the property, make sure everyone's ready, make sure everyone's present, make sure they have ID. And if someone on the deed has passed away, you uh, would likely need a certified death certificate um, or something like that to show that you have the authority to be doing what you're doing. All right, now let's move to the fourth and final and most common type of bond. And this is the kind of bond that you see bonding companies post. So let's say you're not given a signature bond, which is most likely most people who get a bond are not given their signature bond. You can't afford to post a cash bond, and let's say you don't have the $5,000 cash, and you don't have any property. You don't own anything. Most people, most people can't do it. Most people don't own property with enough equity to post a property bond. They don't have a bunch of cash laying around. Well, you may choose to use a bonding company to post your bond. You may, uh, you know, you see many of the signs. They're they're all over the place. They're AAA. They're A1. They are first fast. They're homebound, home free. You know, the typical ones you see. They're usually located close to jails. You see billboards. They're shiny. But how these work is a bonding company will charge you a fee of, uh, of your bond amount, you know, typically between 10 and 15% of your bond amount. So what that means is you go to a bonding company, and let's say you have the $5,000 bond, you're looking at paying them between $500 and $750, and in exchange for that money, they're going to post your bond amount. So they're going to, you give them between $500 and $750 in this example, they're going to go, they're going to take $5,000 cash because bonding companies have the cash, and they're going to post the bond for you. Um, the, the catch here is, well, you may be asking, why doesn't everybody do that? I only have to put up $500 instead of $5,000. The difference is you're not going to get that money back. You're not going to get the $500 back. You have paid that to the bonding company. That's how they make their profit. Um, the other thing is, if you if you fail um, to appear in court, or, or if you don't show up, or if you're hard to get in touch with, the bonding company is sort of responsible for getting you to court, just like anyone else who posts your bond. The difference is, bonding company, um, unlike your grandma who may have posted her house, a bonding company has people on staff who they will come, they will find you, and they will bring you to court. Um, and they may try and get reimbursement from you if, in some point, your bond is forfeited. 
So with that said, a, a bonding company is definitely the most uh, common, and it may be worth shopping around from company to company to see who will give you the best percentage. Also, uh, bonding companies also will sometimes offer payment plans and things like that that could be used to help you get that bond and get out. Okay, so now that we've talked about what bond is, that it's a promise, and that we've talked about why there's bond, so that you know we preserve the presumption of innocence, so that you're not punished pre-trial, to make sure you show up to court, how do I get a bond? That's what everybody wants to know. How do I get a bond? When do I get a bond? What court do I get a bond from? What judge does it come from? Well, let's go through these step by step. Once you're arrested within 72 hours, you have to be brought in front of a magistrate judge for your initial appearance. Um, at that initial appearance, a magistrate judge can certainly set you bond. Um, additionally, courts can set um, a schedule of bails to where uh, they they can uh, look, define certain statutes, certain uh Certain crimes can be given certain values of bond. Um, I actually was just at an initial appearance uh, in Merriweather County yesterday, and that is the first chance you get to be in front of a judge, and bond was granted. And that has to be done within 72 hours of when you're arrested. So you get arrested on Friday, you are going to be in court on uh, Monday, likely. Um, and that is exactly the, the situation we had. Um, in that magistrate, and a lot of times these initial appearances are handled over video conference. You, may, the defendants may be at the jail, they may be at the courthouse, whatever, but the judge may not even be in the same building. Uh, they can Skype in and do these initial appearances, and they can set bond. <clears throat> if that bond is not set in an initial appearance, um, and I'm not going to get too much into what the purpose of an initial appearance is, but basically it's not to argue guilt or innocence or anything like that. Uh, the judge basically just informs you of your charges, informs you to the right by indictment in some cases, uh, accusation in others, uh, that you have the right to an attorney, um, that you things like that, that you can have a preliminary hearing, and that's where we're going to go next, to the preliminary hearings. If you're not given a bond at magistrate, I mean at initial appearance, the next step in the court, uh, in the criminal case process is the preliminary hearing. They're also known as committal hearings or probable cause hearings or anything like that. They are also under the jurisdiction of magistrate court. And there's two big things that happen at these preliminary hearings. One is that you can ask for bond. And, um, and try and get bond if for some reason you didn't get bond at the initial appearance. Another popular thing that these are used for is that if a bond was given at the initial appearance, but that's too high, you can't make the bond. Let's say they give you a $100,000 bond, and you don't have that. You can't afford to pay the 10% to the bonding company, nothing. Well, then you may get a bond reduction at a preliminary hearing. The other thing that happens at the preliminary hearing, and this is a little bit of a tangent off of, of our topic of bonds, is the magistrate judge determines whether or not there's probable cause to bind your case over to superior court. And really what the, the purpose of that is, it gives your attorney a chance to kind of learn some things about your case. Um, and in, uh, someone from law enforcement will be there um, under oath and subject to cross-examination. And the, uh, the your defense attorney will hopefully utilize that opportunity to ask questions of them. Um, one unfortunate thing is that a lot of times it's not the arresting investigator or the arresting officer. It's someone else who has simply read police reports and stuff like that. But nonetheless, it is a good, um, it is a fine opportunity to uh, learn some things about your case. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, sometimes you may not get a bond at your initial appearance or at your um, committal hearing, at your preliminary hearing. And why is that? Well, the Georgia legislature has decided that there are some crimes who should own, that should only be bondable or uh, 
by a superior court judge, meaning that you know the highest county level judge should be the only judge permitted to grant bond on these certain cases. And I'm going to kind of go through these cases a lot because um, now the, there's some of them that aren't that common, and, and you'll, you'll be able to tell them, but there's some other ones that do happen, um, unfortunately, fairly frequently. And for those uh, cases, you're not going to get a bond until your attorney gets you in front of a superior court judge. Um, though, the, so here is a list, and there's about 10, 10 or 11 of them, maybe even a dozen cases that, that you can't get a bond on unless you're in front of a superior court judge. So let's go through them real quick. The first one is treason. The second one is murder. We have rape, aggravated sodomy, armed robbery, first-degree home invasion, aircraft or motor vehicle hijacking, aggravated child molestation, aggravated sexual battery, uh, trafficking in drugs, manufacturing, distributing all the Schedule One or Schedule Two drugs, um, aggravated stalking, violations of the Georgia Street Gang Terrorism and Prevention Act, and then there's a long list of kidnapping, arson, assault, burglary, um, in any degree, uh, kidnapping, stuff like that. If you were on probation or parole or on bail for kidnapping, arson, aggravated assault, things like that. Those can be found in the code section at OCGA 1761 um, for more for more details because some of those do get sort of complicated. But the real takeaway from there is that the most serious cases, um, the seven deadlies, for instance, you know, um, they are only going to be bondable by a superior court judge, and your lawyer needs to get a, a motion for bond filed in order to get in front of that judge and have that hearing. So the next question from that would be, um, how do you get a bond hearing? Well, like I just said, your attorney can file a motion for bond um, in Superior Court if that's what you need, and the Superior Court judge will give you a hearing. So at that hearing, what happens? What do you? What goes on at that? What goes on at that hearing to determine whether or not you're going to be give get a bond? Well, the classic Georgia Supreme Court case is Ayala v. State. It's from 1993, and these have also been codified um, in the Georgia Statutory Code at 17-6-1. But there are four main factors that a court considered considers when determining whether or not to grant you bond. The first is whether there is a significant risk that you are a, um, that you're going to flee the jurisdiction pending your trial. The second factor is whether there's a, that whether you pose a threat or a danger to any person, any uh, the community, or any property here in the community. The next is whether there's significant risk of committing fel of you committing another felony pending trial. And fourth and finally, the, the final factor is that uh, that there's no significant risk of you intimidating witnesses or obstructing justice. So those are the four factors that a court considers in setting bond. Risk of fleeing, danger to any person or community, significant risk of committing a felony pending trial, and whether you're going to intimidate witnesses or obstruct justice. What is notably missing from that list is whether or not you are guilty or innocent. The judge is not concerned with whether you are guilty or innocent during a bond hearing. That is not what that is not what the hearing is for. That is not what the judge wants to hear, and that's not what the law requires. So Oftentimes, I see uh, uh, criminal defendants get frustrated with their attorneys or anything like that because they want to they want to litigate and argue over whether they're guilty or innocent during a bond hearing, but it's simply not not what a bond hearing is for. <clears throat> One other thing I will say is that at these hearings, it is so important that the defendant and his attorney put on evidence to the judge. Um, the defendant has the burden of production, meaning that the defendant must produce evidence in these hearings. Um, so, you know, it's important that you get witnesses to these, you get witnesses to here. Um, you know, 
we don't have the burden of persuasion as defense attorneys in this, but we do have the burden of production, and we must get some evidence in front of the judge that there is no risk of fleeing. You know, you need to turn in a passport. You need to show that the, you know the money's not there to 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 flee. Um, are we a threat to any person or community? Is there a violent past and things like that? Um, no significant risk of intimidating witnesses, things like that. Another thing I like to do around about the fleeing is just show that there are family ties to the community. Um, if, if, the, if there's a young man who's in a bond hearing and he's going to be living with his mother, I love to, to you know, have a mother say, you know, he's going to, I am upset that we're in this situation. He's going to be living with me. I'm going to make sure he shows up to court. Um, it's, it's important to talk about the witnesses, talk with the witnesses, prepare them, let them know that the, both the defense attorneys and prosecutors can have a chance to ask them questions, things like that. Um, and I mentioned that the state still has the burden of persuasion. Let's talk about that for just a minute. What that means is that the state has the burden of proving to the judge beyond a preponderance of the evidence. So what that means for people who aren't lawyers is that it's by, by more likely than not that the court should deny bail. So if the state is opposed to bail, they have to prove to the judge beyond a preponderance of the evidence that the judge should, in fact, deny bail um, to protect the community. And depending on the quality of the defendant's evidence, the state may or may not have to present any evidence at all to carry its burden of persuasion. But I will, what I will tell you this is that the, the sure it is harder, it is more likely that they will have to present evidence if the defendant presents evidence. That's uh, hands down. So those are the things that go into de determining whether or not the judge is going to set bond. Now, let's say the judge in his mind is sitting here going, okay, am I going to set bond? Am I not going to set bond? Am I going to set bond? Am I not going to set bond? And after all of those four factors and things, he goes, okay, I, I, I agree with the defense attorney. I'm going to grant you a bond. Well, next he has to decide how much um, the bond is going to be set at. And there are a few things that the judge needs to consider in determining whether or not to set <coughs> Excuse me. There are a few things the judge must consider in determining how much the bond will be set at. And these are another thing that defense attorney and his client really need to be prepared to articulate to a judge. And it is the accused, meaning the defendant's financial resources and assets. Does he own homes? Does he own cars? Does he own money? Things like that. What do his bank accounts look like? How much income does he have? Is he having? Is he getting money off of dividends or rental properties or anything like that? And also, what are the defendant's financial obligations? Does he have seven kids he's taking care of, all of these things like that that really could go into what amount of money is appropriate to, and it all goes back to that idea of what bond is. It is, a, it is you're securing your promise to come back to court. So the judge is really trying to decide at a number that is an amount of money that will get you back to court, but will also allow you to present uh, post bond. So, you know, if, if you're poor, and he sets a million-dollar bond, well, there's no way you're going to be able to post that, and you're going to have those pretrial incarceration and punishment. But if you're super rich and you're a billionaire and bond set at $1,000, well, that doesn't really give you an incentive to keep your promise. All right, so the next thing is can a judge deny you bond? <coughs> the answer is yes. Um, the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution uh, provides that you're not allowed to be given excessive bail. But um, you, are not, uh, you are not entitled to a bond. Um, now, what I will say is that the judge, the superior court judge or magistrate judges, when they're denying your bond, they have to give a reason why if they deny your bond. And that, that's to help um, with any appeals or anything that may come out of that denial. 
What I will say is there is an exception to this blanket rule that the judge can deny you bond. If the prosecutors fail to indict you on your case within 90 days of your arrest, then the judge must grant you bond. Now, the catch to that is there's no law uh, re regarding how much that can be. So if it's a you know if it's a murder case and the prosecutors are really dragging their feet and it's been 100 it's been 91 days then yes you are in fact entitled to a bond the judge has to give you a bond but he can set it at millions of dollars if he sees it, if he's so inclined he or she is so inclined so be careful with that all right so we've talked about bonds we talked about how you get bonds we talked about what judges consider in setting bonds. Uh, we've talked about whether or not a judge can deny you bond. Uh, we talked about what bond means how to, and all, all of that. Let's talk about what happens if you get a bond. It's a bond you can afford. You post the bond, but then you break your promise and you don't show up to court. This is where it gets tricky. Prosecutors can forfeit your bond. And what that means is, let's say that your grandma posted her, the family home that's been in the family for 100 years in um, as a property bond for securing your attendance at court and you skip out on court well they are going to forfeit that bond they're going to take that house and they're going to get their money in the equity on that house um, if you post five thousand dollar cash bond and you don't show up to court guess what they're going to keep that five thousand dollars if you post twenty five thousand dollars same thing and that is why bonding some judges require surety bonds meaning and we're going to go back a little bit here meaning that you have to go through a bonding company. And the reason for that is because they have people who will get you to court. So let's say uh, let's say you have a $50,000 bond, meaning you're going to need to pay a bondsman somewhere uh, around five or $6,000. Um, if you, it, that bondsman's going to make sure you show up to court. Um, and if, if you don't show up and they begin to forfeit your bond, he's going to come find you and he's going to surrender you to the sheriff He's going to come off of your bond. You're going to sit in custody unless somebody else will post it. So let's talk about bond forfeiture a little bit. At the end of the court day, if someone does not sh show up um, <clears throat> for any reason, then it's going to be forfeited. And there's going to be a setting, an execution date set um, for, for that bond forfeiture for somewhere um, down the road, um, usually like 120 to 150 days later. They're going to set the uh, the hearing on that, and there's going to there's going to be a hearing on whether or not they're going to forfeit the bond. And if you're not in custody, that's likely going to happen. And someone, whether if your mama posted that cash to get you out of jail, she's going to be out the cash, and uh, that's not something you want to do. So you want to make sure and abide by your bond conditions. And bond conditions is the, brings me to the last topic we're going to talk about. That when a judge issue or grants you bond, they can impose certain pretrial release conditions on you. Bond conditions. Um, some of those may include stay away from drugs and alcohol. It may be don't have contact with certain people. That's common in uh, cases where there's a victim. Uh, there may it may be that there's to have no violent contact with somebody. That's something we see a lot of times in domestic violence cases. Now the the, the thing that I caution people about with these bond conditions are. Um, and one other bond condition that's common that I, that, I, that I typically don't like is a restriction on travel. Um, and I've had to file bond motions before and get these changed where, or motions to modify bond where, you know, someone may live out of state or something and it gets overlooked and all of a sudden they've got a bond condition that doesn't allow them to travel. Especially being here in West Georgia, we're just miles away from Alabama. Um, you have to be careful not to violate your bond conditions because if you do violate your bond conditions, prosecutors can and they will, because I've seen it done, file a motion to revoke your bond, meaning that they get in front of a judge and show that you violated conditions. And if the judge agrees, 
then all of a sudden your bond is gone, you're going back into custody, and you're going to sit in the county jail while you await your trial. So today, guys, that's bond. That's a brief overview. It's always, you know, it's much more complicated than that. Um, none of this is legal advice. It's just informational. Um, if you, you or a loved one needs bond or has questions regarding bond, please contact a criminal defense attorney. Um, again, this podcast is the Georgia Criminal Law Podcast. It's presented by J. Ryan Brown Law, LLC. We are a small uh, solo criminal defense firm here in uh, southwest of Atlanta in Noonan, Georgia. Um, we practice throughout the state. You can find us at www.jryanbrownlaw.com. You can email me at ryan at jryanbrownlaw.com. You can call me at 470-635-1725 with any questions, comments, topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show or anything like that. And until next time, this was episode two. We thank you very much. Bye-bye.